Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of One Vision. Joining us today is Sanjay Pandey, founder and CEO of Woven Money, three times entrepreneur, and an Amazon and Capital One alumni. Welcome to the show, Sanjay. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's been a it's been a long time coming, um, but I'm I'm uh, excited that we can finally start talking about what we're up to. I know it was really hard to keep to keep the lids on and and not tell everyone what you have done. Um, what an amazing journey it has been. But before we get there, let's start with your backstory. Who is Sanjay? What has Sanjay been doing? And that story that drives you to do what you do today, what you're doing in the future, and the focus on building financial solution that's aligned with the interest of everyday Americans. Can you share with our listeners that personal stories? Because that gets me every single time. What keeps you up at night? <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I appreciate you saying that. And it's it's taken a while for me to be comfortable to share that story because it just seems like um, a thing, you know, it's, there's nothing special about it in the sense that it just happened and has happened to me throughout my life. But I, I do think it is important because it, it informs how I think about money and it informs how I think about our, our vision at Woven and what we're doing. Um, so I'm, I, as you mentioned, I was most recently the FinTech hub leader, the site executive for, for Cap One and Previous to that, I was product head for the Alexa skills kit at Amazon and a couple of products in AWS. But I think what's what's really important is, in my backstory, is this idea of understanding what scarcity does to human beings and the impact it has on the decisions you make. Um, I'm a I'm a refugee to the U.S. from Liberia. My family and I came here after a coup in 1980. And the reason we were even able to make it into the country, because my dad um, in the 60s went to grad school at the University of Missouri, and he applied for his green card in 62. And it showed up many years later uh, in time for us to come to the United States as refugees with what we could carry and what we had in our minds and what we had in our hearts. Um, we worked hard, we built businesses. There's only one place on the planet you can actually do what we did, which is to start from nothing and through hard work and contacts and relationships from yesteryear, get to a place where you are given an opportunity to make something of yourselves. And we did that. Um, and I grew up in those businesses. and. I know what it means to work hard to to provide for yourself and the next generation and to build a legacy. We subsequently were given conflicted advice by financial advisors. Um, this is not to say that all financial advisors are evil. It is to say that the way the financial system is designed is oftentimes not really aligned with people truly advancing their own financial interests. The financial products and the financial uh, rigging today, uh, and, and I don't use the term rigging necessarily as as a double entendre there, but what happens is you get people in products that are not really aligned with their interests, um, particularly when it comes to debt. And so what, 
we have been thinking about long and hard and deeply is how do we build things that actually align with human beings? Um, and that's how my backstory plays into that, that scarcity causes us to think in ways that are suboptimal for our own interests. That when you don't have enough, you make really poor decisions, not because you're stupid. It's not because you're, you don't care. It's not because you don't want to advance your, your interests or your family. But it is because the way that your mind works, you're focused on solving for the immediate problem ahead of you. And you're less focused on the future, less focused on being more prospective about your, about your future. I experienced that deeply as a child. Um, and I understood it in ways that uh, are unique in the sense that we had to roll up our sleeves and figure out how to build a business and, and work ourselves to a place where we had enough. And so it's deeply embedded in my thinking, in the way I see the world, in the way I see other human beings, in the way I try to relate to other people. Um, and something needs to be done about it. If, if we're going to truly expand access to the American dream, and if we're truly going to enable people to make the most of themselves, which is what I believe is important for society, then we really need to get at the problem of debt, and in particular, bad high interest debt that keeps people down. So let's get into that then, Sanjay. Let's talk about the new venture that you find yourself building now at Woven Money. Can you tell us what it does, why it's different than other fintechs that are out there? And can you tell us a little bit about the name? Because just hearing your backstory, I could see how, you know, where you came from and what you had experienced in your career has really, again, woven into the rest of what you're building now. So can you get into that a bit? Sure. Thank you. Um so we've we've got a, a deep and exciting roadmap that's upcoming. What I want to focus on that what we're actually in the app store live today with is um, an app by Woven Money called Credit Crush, intentionally named that way to enable customers to think about how to get out of credit card debt. And we should we should talk about why that's important. A lot of the a lot of the thinking around fintech and the the products that you build are around some cool feature or something that makes access or convenience more of a reality, and those are all great things. At the end of the day, though, why are people dealing with debt? Why are they dealing with savings? Why are they attempting to make their financial lives better? There's something that they're trying to achieve, right? The job to be done, to use you know a Clayton Christensen. Uh, term is to make their lives better, make their family families' lives better. So if you dig into credit card debt, why are people even concerned in thinking about credit card debt? It's because they want to buy a house for their family. They want to buy a car so they can get to work more reliably. It's it's not about just a number on a uh, bank's website that they sign into that drives anxiety. It does. It does drive drive anxiety. But the fourth thing that they're trying to achieve is a better life. They want to qualify for life improving loans. They want to be able to save more. They want to be able to invest more. And the road to making that happen necessarily goes through high interest credit card debt. So our app, Credit Crush, 
gives customers an easy to understand debt payoff plan. We talk about them getting a hashtag debt-free date. We help them visualize how fast they can get out of debt, which compels them to act. We incentivize them to pay down their debt through micropayments, transaction by transaction, without the worry of roundups causing an overdraft or another loan impacting their credit score. And by paying down their debt in small chunks, what they're doing is unwinding how complex the credit card amortization curve is, and they win a chance to have their entire debt wiped out. So we know that human beings are going to gravitate towards games. We know that they're gonna to gravitate towards things that could find them or gain them big winnings. And what we say to ourselves is, how do we leverage what humans are gonna do anyway for their own benefit? How do we do that? How do we, how do we wire that into our thinking, our business model, and the products that we're building? And Credit Crush is the first wave of that. Our, our longer term roadmap has a lot of this thinking built into it. How do we use human behavior that's natural, that exists today, that is not something that you have to manufacture for the benefit of human good? And that's what we're doing with Web Money. Let's continue with with the topic of debt. One of the stats I recently saw in one of your posts said in the United States, people under the 90th, 200th annual income percentile had an average debt of $12,600. That, that shocked me, but probably shouldn't. How does that compare to what people have in other countries? And what do you think are some of the contributing factors to why are we in the state of where we are right now? Yeah, it's a, it's a, I could, I could go on and on about that. I'll, I'll hit a few of the points. Um, number one, just that stat in general, what you'll find is as you go up the income ladder, that debt stat increases, meaning the more income you have, the more credit card debt you're going to and there are a few reasons for that, right? Like the whole, the, the research here in the behavioral term here, it's called hedonistic adaptation. Is that when you have more, you actually spend more. You, your lifestyle expands. It's called lifestyle expansion. Now, there are a lot of extant factors in society that we believe contribute to that. Um, so, you know, my mom growing up, and this didn't really hit me until I, I became like an adult with kids. My mom used to say there are four things human beings want in life. Um, they want success, they want pleasure, they want to love, and they want to be loved. It's pretty straightforward. Pick any human being and that's, that's what they're optimizing. Well, what you see in society is advertising and marketing really leans into that. Look at the, um, when you see a credit card commercial next, look at the images that they're conveying to you. You're going to be sexy. You're going to have fun. You're going to be loved. You're going to be loved if you just spend more. Now, so there's an extant uh, sort of ambient push to spend more. But the mathematical thing that's happening here is as you earn more, you can qualify for more of a loan. And there's, there's, there's really hard data here that suggests that if you give people more of a credit line, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to use more of that credit line. 
So it, it's, it really is underneath a mechanical, mathematical profit motive. Credit card debt is really simple to understand. You need people to carry debt as long as you, they can carry debt without defaulting on you. And you need them to swipe their cards in market in order to make money. That's the business model. It's not, it's not any more difficult than that. It's, it's, it's really straightforward. So what you find is, depending on your income, you're going to carry between 5 to 10% of your annual income as credit card debt if you are in credit card. So I'll stop there. I know you, there's a couple more questions there I'll answer, but I'll see if there's any reaction or, or, or question. You know, I, I, I think the way that we market credit cards has always been wrong. You know, I, I, you know, we get into college and first thing you see are tables trying to get you into credit card and it gets you into credit card debt and it puts you on this cycle. The thing that's interesting, though, about, you know, the challenges now is that there's there's not a lack of credit available. There's not a lack of, um, you know, people trying to to get you to, to buy things in new ways that end up in credit. I guess the, the question is. I want to know a little bit more about what happens in the user journey of people coming into Credit Crush and coming into this app. So if, if you have on average, you know, five to 10% of your annual income in debt, how are you helping your, your users actually pay down their debt faster? On the site itself, it talks about debt uh, hacks and these type of things. Can, mm -hmm. you, can you talk a little bit more in detail about that? Yeah. 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 So the first thing we do is we, show the, the user that with their existing credit cards, how long they'll be in debt if they play by the traditional rules, which means pay the minimum that comes in on your sheet that says, or, or your slip, your credit card payment slip that says, this is the minimum amount you have to pay. Well, there's a reason that that happens, right? There, there's, there's a reason that, that that slip says what it says is because there's a profit motive there. Pay the minimum, and we'll keep keep the debt on your card and you'll continue to pay interest on it uh, in perpetuity, essentially. So what we do is we say, okay, what would happen if you, we take your information and we say, let's create a debt pay down plan for you. And what happens if you just make marginally more of a payment on your highest interest rate card and then work your way down um, over the course of some periods, what would that look like? And what we show you is for an average customer that say maybe carrying $6,000 in credit card debt, if you just paid 50 bucks more a month on top of your minimums, you don't have to get a new loan. If you just pay 50 bucks more a month on top of your minimums, you're gonna get out of debt 19 years faster than just paying the minimums. No new loans, no credit counseling, no shame. You just pay a little bit more. And then what we do is we gamify the process. We show you that you spent $15 at Starbucks or some other retailer, but if you don't do something about it, it's gonna turn into $18. And then we enable you to pay off your debt transaction by transaction in what is essentially what we call internally the transaction game. And as you pay off those transactions, you're earning coins in a sweepstakes for a complete debt wipeout. And anytime right. you spend more, if you spend more, we notify you. We'll tap you on the shoulder, Bradley or Theo, through a notification. We'll pull you back into the app and we say, come pay these off and earn more coins in the sweepstakes. And we know at any given point 
whether your debt-free date is going to slip out based on your spending. So we're at the point of constructing the original plan for you and then keeping you on track by pulling you back into the app to pay off transactions as they are. So, so let's get into that a little bit more. I, I saw this really fascinating um, thread on, on Twitter a couple of days ago where someone was like just finding out for the, the first time that you could pay more toward your mortgage, for example. And I think a lot yeah. of people almost forget that you could pay off your whole card every single month. It's amazing. Yeah. It's like this yeah. thing that like yeah. makes you feel good about yourself. Um, yeah. But let's, you know, let's talk in general about debt, you know, auto loans, medical debt, student loan debt. These are huge items that consumers need to tackle and our financial lives are no doubt getting more complex by the day. And at the same time, we're looking at new credit models like buy now, pay later. And then we have subscription, everything happening. We now have people, you know, subscribing to getting a new phone and a new computer every year, in addition to all the music services that we subscribe to and all the media services and, and, and everything is luring us to buy, buy, buy and to have more and more debt. So are we like luring consumers into that debt and bad financial habits just to perpetuate like our system and our economy and these big businesses? Are we doomed as consumers? Um, how do we build better financial resilience? How do we actually change the business model to align with the goals of customers? It's crazy, isn't it? It's a wonderful question. It's a heavy question. Um, just so, some backdrop. So 68% of US GDP is consumer spending, right? So 70%, essentially 70% of our GDP is based on the consumer spending and market, which means every incentive, every dividend, every P&L forecast, everything in society is oriented towards driving more growth, which means more spend. That's, that's, that's essentially the case. Now, if you, if you look at it internationally, to go back to, to an, another question that um, Theo posed, we're actually, in terms of household debt as an overall percentage of GDP, we're number two behind Hong Kong and China's number three. So we're in the top three. Uh, Hong Kong, I know that's surprising. That's that's uh, surprising to me too. But uh, as a percentage of GDP, household debt, Hong Kong is number one. US number two, China number three. Okay, so the economy is built on the back of the consumer, essentially. That's what we're dealing with here. At the same time that all of this is happening, what my philosophy is and my thinking is, is we're essentially playing a zero-sum game in different tiers of wealth of consumers. From the unbanked, let's say at the bottom, to the affluent at the top, what's essentially happening in each of these slices is companies are competing for attention and they're competing for um, those customers, which perpetuates the existing business model, which is get as many of these customers as you can as cheaply as you can, sell them as much stuff as you can, and make as much of a margin as you can. That's that's it. It's 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 not a not a hard thing to to, to conceive of. At the same time that all of this is happening, there's a there's a big un um, approached and and I believe uninvested in uh, line of thinking, which is the mass market. Someone who has four to eight thousand dollars in credit card debt doesn't have a house doesn't have a long-term financial plan. There are over 65 million Americans in the United States that have credit card debt and have marginal credit. 
Do you think they want to qualify for a home loan so they can secure their family? Do you think that they want to save for college? Do you think that they want to invest for the long run? That to me is TAM expansion. That is the very fundamental uh, explanation or, or, or um, uh, description of TAM expansion, total addressable market expansion. There are people that want more, they want to do more that, are, that is actually good for them. Meanwhile, we perpetuate this indebtedness cycle that keeps people in a place where they really can't improve their lives or improve their, their, their station in life. And so from an economic standpoint, if you zoom out, the answer to this case is actually create more of society that can reliably and sustainably afford more of the things they need to lead more complete lives, period. That's it. So when you take that and you look at the entire uh, 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 backdrop of what consumers are doing in the midst of being encouraged to spend more, if you go to just Reddit alone, across 36 Reddit groups, 30 million Americans go to get financial advice from perfect financial strangers, or from perfect strangers. Why is that happening? 30 million people, 36 Reddit groups, going to get financial advice from perfect strangers. Why? Because they know ultimately they're trying to lead more whole, complete lives that require financial security. So our point of view on the entire thing is, well, what if your money was just smart? What if your money was fully aligned with your interests? What if your money actually allowed you to climb the economic ladder? What if it was just that way? How you banked was built with a set of experiences and a set of intelligence that made sure your money was doing the right thing for you always, period, full stop, in a hurry. The technology exists, the compute power exists, the ML exists, the cost of doing that at scale is literally, literally sub one to $2 per year per human being. So why can't we build experiences that are fully aligned with the interest of the human and still make money, still build massive businesses and still expand the total addressable market for multiple, multiple industries? So why haven't we? I, I think it's, there's a recalcitrance and a, a um, perpetuation of existing business models. You go from quarter to quarter and you've got to, you've got to, you've got to crank a dividend. And that dividend is tied to your existing business model, which means you need to give as little of a rate on a deposit as you can and loan at, and, and give out a loan as high as you can and ride the spread. That's it. And it's in the same customer segments that everyone goes after, either the affluent or the unbanked or um, some small pocket in between where you can, you can justify your marketing spend so you can, you can show a material return on investment. Instead of zooming out and really understanding, like our earned secret is that we know that we can give great advice at scale at a fraction of a dollar. If that's true, then you can attach any business model to that. You can actually build experiences that align with the interests of the human and expand the TAM overall. What's in the middle or what's in the way are existing business models that perpetuate the, the, the way things are done today. It's not to say that the, these are evil companies. It's, it's, it is to say that incentives matter. And unless you understand that there's an incentive for you to expand the financial wellness of your customer, 
and to actually make your customer healthier so they can actually buy a house so they can, from you, so they can actually buy a car from you, so they can actually invest from you and in the long term become overall a healthy financial consumer. Unless you understand that and plan for that, you're solving for, for the quarter to quarter dividend. That's what's happening. You know, the one, the one thing that this makes me think about is, is how a lot of people that we talk to start to question what they do and dramatically change the focus of their career based on what they are seeing within the corporations that they worked at. And, you know, from going from one of the largest banks in the world to trying to tear down the business model and perpetuate better business models within fintech and banking, um, I think we could both probably say that, you know, writing beyond good and talking to the people that we do and talking to people like yourself, trying to change the prevailing, not just business model, but the, the, the sort of psychotic nature <laughs> of something like banking as something as big as banking. When you look at the business model that, you know, it's, it's diametrically opposed to financial health and we need to change that. And that's what I don't get about the business model is that the long-term financial wellness of more people is more beneficial to every single bank and bank entity in the system. So how do we get something like Woven to not just be direct to consumer, but be Woven as a service so that every single financial institution looks at this long-term? Um, what, what, what are your thoughts long-term about Woven in terms of getting more people to be able to use your platform? I think I think that's an interesting and um, exciting question. I'll tell you philosophically the way I, way I look at this is that I look at the business the same way I look at the customer, which is holistic. And I think if you're looking at a customer as a credit card account or a BNPL account or you know a, 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 an auto loan or you know a singular home or deposit. I think if you look at customers that way, you're going to get unintended consequences overall. I, I really don't think that people, people in business are are necessarily, you know, by and large, I do not the, the same way I said people want, like when my mom said, you know, people want to succeed, they want pleasure, they want to love, they want to be loved. I believe that for the vast, vast, vast majority of human beings, we wouldn't be a society without it, right? So I don't think people are fundamentally evil. I just think that the way that they look at business models. Are, is necessarily sliced in, in, in a fashion that causes you to have to do things that are actually against the interests of the customer. I've got to keep the customer in credit card debt. I've got to keep the customer in an auto loan that's, that's um, uh, too, too high an interest rate for them. I've got to keep them in a home loan that they may be able to refinance, but I need them not to know that they can refinance. Right. Like so because you're 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 building a set of financial projections and cash flow models and PVs that are based on a point in time when you get that customer into a particular product. Where it has to go is you need to look at the customer overall and their overall life cycle, what they're trying to achieve and continually optimize for that customer. That is going to be the most loyal customer you'll ever have. If you know, like for 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 all the warts of, of big tech, like one of the one of the great quotes that I love from Bezos is, um, you know, I 
I can't imagine, and, and I'm, I'm going to mess the quote up here, but, but generally speaking, it goes something like this. I can't imagine a customer saying, um, gosh, I really love that feature. I just wish you'd charge me a little bit more for it, right? The answer to this case always is cheaper, better, faster, higher quality for the customer. That's it. And, and the brand that can deliver, deliver that builds, and, or the brands that can deliver that build really sustainable, defensible moats. And these moats become trust. And trust is a really hard, expensive thing to go get on the market. And once you have trust, it's really hard to be separated away from, from a customer. When they trust you, they love you, they know you're going to take care of them, they're going to keep coming back for more. As long as you can continue to validate that, that's an enduring business model. So the long-term question for Woven is, if we want to achieve that broadly, writ large in society, we believe a direct-to-consumer play is the way to, to make that happen. Um, and if, if the data and the metrics steer us in a direction where we can do this in a greater way at scale, uh, our, ears are, our, our ears are perked up and we're, we're focused on it. So before we wrap up, let's, let's bring the question back to near term. You posted recently, ironically, getting people to do the right thing for themselves is easier than getting the establishment to see the power and the value of it, which we've just talked about, the incentives and the alignment. Um, what is next with Woven Money now that the app is in the app store? Um, what, what, are you, what are you planning on now? Where's the launch? When's the launch? And what do we get to look forward to before the holidays? Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so we're, we're in a invite only mode. We're in both stores right now. We've got users that are using the app. And um, the way we see the world is that if you look at just the top 20 cities in the United States alone, there's 65 million people with marginal credit scores in credit card debt. It's huge appetite to get out of debt and improve credit scores because they're trying to improve their lives. That in and of itself is a massive, massive undertaking and a, a big business to go build while staying aligned with, with humans. Beyond that, the things that these human beings are trying to do are accretive to um, not only their families, but to balance sheets and to businesses. They're trying to save ultimately so they can buy a house, so they can invest for education, so they can invest for the future. So we see a massive opportunity to align with users by starting where one of the biggest pain points for them is and aligning with a thing that keeps them up at night. And if we build a brand around that, around aligning with our customers, getting them out of debt with no new loans, staying on their side, keeping them on track to a financial future they can imagine, we'll continue to build a deep abiding relationship and long-term trust with them to have the opportunity to handle other aspects of their financial lives, which are oriented towards the improvement of their overall existence. It's not about a singular product. It's about, is my life better? Am I going to be okay? Will my kids go to college? Am I going to be able to cover the next time I have a flat tire? Will my house have enough insurance on it? 
this is a this is a little a tangent. I have a friend who who was pretty high up at FEMA, and um, he shared a stat with me: eighty percent of the homes in one of the most affluent counties in the country, Harris County, in Houston, eighty percent of those homes in the next natural disaster would be vaporized. Why? Because they don't have the appropriate insurance on their house to cover natural disaster. Why? Because they skimp on it. Why? Because they're in credit card debt. That's a pause-worthy comment. When 80% of the homes in one of the most affluent countries in the United States or affluent country counties in the in the country would go away in the next natural disaster because they didn't have enough insurance because they took the rider off. That's what human beings are doing to get by and make it while still spending in market and having the kind of debt that you described earlier, $12,600 in the 90th to 100th percentile. It's a real problem and you have to start there. If you're not dealing with credit card debt, you're not really dealing with financial health. You cannot with a straight face say you're dealing, dealing with financial health. To get someone to save more is laudable. But if they're carrying five to $10,000 in credit card debt, what are we doing? What are we doing? That's a 20 to 25% APR on five to $10,000 in credit card debt. Yeah, they should have a cushion. But job number one is to wipe out credit card debt. And we look forward to seeing your journey. And um, we should look for the uh, debt-free day hashtag. And hopefully we'll have more and more consumers that can get there. And then, you know, we'll take the next step forward. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sanjay. And uh, best of luck with the launch. And for the rest of you, thank you very much for joining us on another episode of One Vision. We'll talk to you all next week.